0: Vox Quick Hits.
1: It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramos firm, and we got big vaccine news from the federal government in the United States today. They're recommending states pause. Johnson & Johnson vaccinations after finding out about some extremely rare cases of blood clots, one person's in critical condition, and one person has died. To explain, I'm joined by Caroline Chen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica. Caroline, why recommend a pause here?
0: Yeah, so the initial cause for the pause today is because of cases of a very rare type of blood clot, um, which is called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. Which was, Say it one more time. <laughs> yeah, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis or CVST. And this was found in combination with low levels of blood platelets, which is called thrombocytopenia. And it's this combination together, which is a very rare event that caught the attention of the CDC and FDA.
1: Okay, and you you mentioned rare twice. How rare is it?
0: Very, 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 very rare, which is so far they have data from six reported cases in the U.S. out of more than 6.8 million doses um, of the J&J vaccine that have been administered. So about one in a million.
1: Okay, And, and though we know there's six cases out of like six, seven million, that doesn't necessarily mean there are only six cases, to be fair, right?
0: Yes, to be fair, part of the reason why the CDC and FDA are taking the action that they are today and calling attention to this is because they want to make sure that they're aware of all the cases. And there might be providers um, who have seen clotting cases in the past few days, but not realize that it could be coming from the vaccine. However, this is different from saying it would be an order of magnitude off that we're missing because you know that would definitely show up much more evidently uh, in ERs and in doctors' offices if this was happening at a much higher rate. What I'm saying is it might be just like a handful more.
1: So if this is indeed so rare that you might be more likely to get struck by lightning than to have these side effects, what's the justification for pausing the use of this vaccine entirely, which surely will raise hesitancy among people who are maybe scheduled to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine later today?
0: Yeah, I think this is an extremely good question. And one of the things that the FDA and the CDC said today in their press conference was that part of the reason why they decided to go for a pause, you know, instead of, say, continuing to investigate the cases while vaccinations go on, is... So that there was time for the healthcare community to learn what they needed to learn about how to diagnose, treat, and report. So normally when you see a blood clot, you'd give anticoagulants. So the most common one is called heparin. But in fact, in this case, if you give those drugs to people, it could cause them to get worse or even be fatal. Again, this is super rare, but what they wanna do is tell the medical community, you know, if you see a clotting event, you really have to think and ask about vaccine uh, history, take a platelet count and know that what you would normally reach for might not be the right course of treatment here. So that's what they kept stressing, that they wanted to be able to have some time to tell the medical community how to diagnose, treat, and report such cases if they come up. The other thing that I would point out is at this point in time, the J&J vaccine is a very small percentage of the supply. Um, I think it's about 5% of the supply that's available in the US. So I'm sure it was part of their calculus that if they were to put a pause right now, it's not like all of a sudden most people cannot get their vaccines. Right now, the large bulk of what's available is Moderna and Pfizer.
1: Hmm. So so what does this mean practically for the states? I mean, the federal government is advising they pause this particular vaccine. Does this end up slowing down vaccinations stateside and abroad?
0: Yeah, so you had a number of questions in there. And so the first thing <laughs> I want to clarify is that Um, this is a recommendation from the CDC and FDA. It's not a mandate.
1: Um,
0: And so it is up to the states to decide what to do. And I think it would be pretty surprising to me if a state would go against both FDA and CDC recommendation at this point in time. The second thing is that the FDA did say today that they're hoping to resolve this issue in days. So they are aware of, you know, not taking away time from the vaccine rollout. They're going to, you know, bring together their expert panel, which is called ASIP, tomorrow to discuss the cases. And then I think some of the options for what they could do is add a warning on the provider fact sheet. This is like a drug label, but to give providers more guidance, um, one of the questions, I asked this question this morning at the press conferences. Um, I was wondering if the FDA has any sense of any subpopulations or medical histories that may predispose a person to this rare side effect, um, or even if you have a hypothesis on that at this point. And they said. I, this is uh, Jana Woodcock. I believe there are few, too few cases for us to uh, make that determination for this particular vaccine. We will look further into these. We'll have deliberations tomorrow, uh, but we aren't prepared at this time to single out any particular subgroup. So I think when you ask how this is gonna affect the vaccine rollout, you know, if this is resolved in a couple of days and you just add some guidance for providers, I don't think it's gonna be a big impediment to the vaccine rollout. On the flip side, if they take much longer and there's continued confusion about who might be at high risk, I think it could have a greater impact just on overall vaccine hesitancy, specifically for the J&J.
1: Hmm. What if you already got the j shot?
0: So let's start again with the numbers. So it's been six reported cases out of 6.8 million. So I think people... Uh, tend to gravitate to fearing that they are the one in the million case. I'd like to remind you if you know everybody cannot be the one in the million case, so your chances are very, very low that you would be uh, one of those cases. What the FDA has said to look out for is if you receive the vaccine and develop severe headache, abdominal pain, leg pain, or shortness of breath, you should contact your health care provider and seek medical treatment. However, if you're like more than a month out from the J&J vaccine, nothing has happened, like the chances become infinitesimally small that there's something for you to worry about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I mean, there was this thing at the Baltimore facility where 15 million doses had to be recalled and destroyed. I mean, is there coming back from this or or is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine just going to be forever tainted as this lesser problematic thing?
0: I mean, you could ask the same question about the AstraZeneca vaccine right now, which has gone through a lot of stumbles. And I think that partly the reason why the FDA and CDC are moving in the way that they are is because this is a very similar type of rare side effect that was seen with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, And they are both kind of in the same class of vaccines. They're both called adenovirus vector vaccines as opposed to the mRNA vaccines. And Mm. so I think that gives them more reason to feel like this is a real signal as opposed to something totally random. um, And because it seems like there might be a similar mechanism. So you asked like, what is going to be the effect on j and J? I I already think that there has been increased hesitancy and a bit of, you know, a taint on the AstraZeneca vaccine. But I think that this all comes down to communication. So I'll remind your listeners that back in summer when we were running the trials and I was going around asking experts, what are you hoping for? What are you expecting to see from these vaccines? They all said it would be great if it was 70% effective. That would be ideal. Um, That was where the bar was. And the FDA said if it's over 50% effective, you know, and a safe vaccine, we're going to uh, give it a green light and authorize it. So that's where the bar was. And then we opened up with Pfizer and Moderna that had 90% plus efficacy in the trials. And that just set the bar so high for everything that followed. So if you kind of take that away and just go back to what scientists had hoped for, you know, the J&J vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine are really good um, vaccines and are going to make a huge difference to the pandemic. And I think it's that sort of communication explanation to people that you're not comparing you know, your one in a million risk of getting a blood clot to nothing, you're comparing your one in a million risk of a blood clot to what would happen if you potentially had COVID, right? Transmission is still high in the U.S. right now. So I think teaching people how to make those risk-benefit analyses and really clear communication about what the vaccines can and cannot do is what's going to shape the narrative around this shot. That was an excerpt of
1: Today Explained. To hear the whole enchilada and others like it, check out Today Explained wherever you check out your podcasts.